Welcome to uh, Grace Community Church, uh, the Tuesday night Bible study. And we happen to be doing it on YouTube and Facebook today. Uh, so uh, we have been doing the book of Joshua. So I can't see anything uh, other than to go ahead and continue with that study. Uh, we happen to be at uh, Joshua chapter 9. And really, uh, it's been quite a, a book dealing with Joshua and the Israelites. You see the character of Joshua, and of course, right up from the very outset, God uh, tells uh, that uh, Joshua is to be strong and courageous, and of course, only in God can he be that strong and courageous. We do see those characteristics throughout that book. And uh, it is interesting to note what kind of man he is, a godly man, uh, right on the heels of the leadership uh, from uh, Moses. So we look at that characteristic and we think, where does he get that from? And obviously it's from God. And in the book of Joshua, we will see the very nature and characteristics of God. When you look at Joshua, you have to look at God, and, and that's the way it is in all books. We see ultimately uh, the person of Christ that's involved there. Uh, the, the nature of God, of course, here is uh, really stressed in his covenant love that he has for people. We see his power as uh, the Israelites defeat the enemies, but it's always done in the power of God. Uh, we also see the mercy of God here in this book. Mercy on the Israelites, mercy on some Gentiles. We see grace being extended all the way through that book. Israelites and Gentiles alike. Um, we also see the wrath of God. That is also on the Israelites and Gentiles. And we also see that there is judgment uh, with that wrath. And, of course, this covenant that he makes with his people. And so we see a lot about God in this particular book of how he works with his people. When we come into chapter 9, again, we're going to see mercy being stressed here, and grace, when you really wouldn't expect it, coming from people who are really Canaanites. And so we recall that when we left uh, the last time we were in Joshua's chapter 8, the people of God were camped between the two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal stood for a cursing and uh, Mount Gerizim was the Mount of Blessing. And so there the people are, and this was told by Moses for them to do. And there they come to that point at uh, this juncture of their journey as they move into the Promised Land. And uh, of course at the Mount of Ebal we see at that Mount of Cursing there's an offering there. Not on Mount uh, Gerizim, but on Mount Ebal. There's offerings for the people's sins, and there's a fellowship offering that really commemorates the kind of fellowship covenant uh, that they have with Yahweh. So that is a high point of where they're at in their particular journey. Uh, a very very high watermark that we see there. Um, 
And as we look at the first couple of verses in chapter 9, it's kind of interesting because the nations around in that area where the Israelites are at that had been melted in their hearts because they knew that the true God of the Israelites had really been wreaking havoc against the enemies coming up that way. So their hearts actually had melted. But, and God had promised Israel that that's what would happen. But all of a sudden, instead of the Canaanites giving away to fear, they're ready to take on the Israelites, which is really strange considering the way they had first responded and reacted to the powerful Israelites and their powerful God. Something has changed. What happened? Well, what happened was what happened at Ai. And that is where the Israelites did not seek the counsel of God and moved ahead of him. And, of course, great sin was done there. And um, Yahweh takes care of this in that a judgment had to be made. Um, God did not remove his favor from Israel because of what Achan did. We know that there was uh, judgment done. It was practiced. Joshua did what he was supposed to do and the people. And now there's been atonement made at Mount uh, Ebal. Made for the nations. The sins at Ebal. And so God will continue to bless his people. Nevertheless, the consequences of what Achan did continues on. And so uh, they had a humiliating defeat at Ai. They wound up getting the victory there. They conquered. But uh, there is some knowledge among the Canaanites that the Israelites can be beaten. If Ai can beat them, anybody can beat them. So they've gotten confidence. Uh, so we look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. So there it is. They're ready to take on Israel now. Whereas their hearts were melting before a determined fight is going to happen. Now, in verses 3 through 27 of this chapter, you're going to get this remarkable story of these people called the Gibeonites. Now, who are they? They, they are actually people here that see the power of God the one true God, Yahweh, and they seek deliverance from the wrath of God and from the Israelites. And the way they're going to do it is to deceive Israel. And that's the only way that they see clear that they can keep from being judged at this time. It's quite a process that they do to deceive Israel. And Joshua and the Israelites will spare them even though it would seem like they shouldn't be spared. So what's going on there? Well, we pick it up in verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, 
They also acted craftily and set out envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended. We'll stop there for a moment. Verse 3, though, declares that they join with Israel. That's what they're declaring. That they are to join with Israel and become servants of Israel and Yahweh. They acknowledge Yahweh. They know who He is. He, he's their uh, Israelites' God, and He is that covenant God that is Yahweh, the one true God, the living God. So Gibeon is a large city. It is north of Jerusalem. Uh, it's close, pretty close in that old area. And the warriors are known as fierce warriors. And you would think that they would be ready also to take on the Israelites. And they really are of the people called the Hivites, which is listed here uh, in verse uh, 1. And that's really kind of who they are. Uh, so, And the Hivites are the ones who make war on Israel. They are the people that Israel is supposed to destroy. So we move to verse 4 and 5 now. It says in 4, they acted craftily, set out as envoys, took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry, and had become crumbled. So there are the people that are going to come to the Israelites, and you can see that what we're getting here is a description of the deception that they had. They're trying to appear as though they had come from a distant land. And actually, they're just a few miles away. But they're making it appear that they are from a distant land. They even say that. And we're talking about, you know, on their travel there, they, their sacks are worn out and their donkeys and wine skins are worn out and the clothes are all torn, the sandals, and uh, there they have this dry bread. So they, they're greatly fearing the Israelites and more so because it, they know who God is. And their God. And so they come to make peace through deceptive means. Well, let's pick it up in verse 6. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. So there we go. They say we have come from a far country. Now, they're wanting to make a covenant. A covenant with Israel, a covenant with God. They're wanting to make peace. Now Yahweh had forbidden Israel to make treaties with those tribes that were to be driven out from the promised land. And of course you could look in Exodus 34, verse 11 and 12, where he tells the Israelites, this is the book of the law, be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorites before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. So he says, don't make any covenants with those people that was listed there by God. 
But you also have to look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. And that's Deuteronomy 20, 10 through 18. And it says, When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. Now what this is, this would be a people or a city that would actually be outside of Canaan. It wouldn't be listed in that group, wouldn't be in that list of uh, that God had given them. And it says, if it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. So that is for people that are outside the area of Canaan, some particular city. And it says to offer terms of peace before you do anything, before you march in there yet. Make, make peace with them if they're outside. So that, that gives us a really good idea of what is going on with this group of people here, these Gibeonites. And it's somehow they knew enough about Israel's law that they have to claim that they come from a distant land. So if they're from a distant land, a covenant can be made. And so the prohibitions against the treaty making would not apply. Uh, so they could make a treaty with them. So they must have known something about that to say and do what they did. So the Gideonites said, as we go back to our Joshua passage in uh, chapter 9, at verse 6, we see that it's interesting where they're going to. It's um, Gilgal. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal. Isn't that interesting? It said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from the far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. So verse 6 is saying it's Gilgal. Gilgal is their camp. This is where they made a monument to, um, to God. They crossed the Jordan River and they waited to go in and uh, attack Jericho. And we know the story of Jericho. Uh, so this is where they had celebrated their Passover. They had monuments there. This is where they uh, also are circumcised. They're getting ready for the actions that were, they were going to do in the Promised Land. Now, how did the Israelites respond to this? 1 verse 7, The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? So, we get it there that they are skeptical, the Israelites. How do we know that you're from there? We don't think you really are. We think you're lying. The, the Hivites that were enemies and Israel was not allowed to make a treaty with them. Well, the Gibeonites, believe me, they know about this too. So they approached Joshua as we look in verse uh, 8. They said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? Joshua was skeptical also. He asked who they are. Where are you from? 
good questions to be asking. He's not for certain what the deal is with them, too. It doesn't look quite right. And, of course, they answer back and said in verse 9, Your servants have come from a very far country, very far, because of the fame of the Lord your God. I underline that uh, phrase there, because it's the fame of the Lord your God. He's the famous God. He has known what he has done in coming to this area. They know exactly what he's done, and the Israelites, as he's used them. So Joshua says, who are you? Where do you come from? He's skeptical, and verse 9, they says, your servants have come from a far country because of the fame. There's a familiar ring to this. Um, we've seen this in Joshua before. They know the name of the Lord, capital letters there, L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh, which is Yahweh, the covenant God. He's the true one, true God. And we've heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. Where have we heard of that before? Rahab the harlot. And so, the fame is definitely known about the what has happened with uh, the nations and what Israel has done. And so, here we are, as the story continues on, in 11 through 13, we see that they, uh, we see that they continue to lie. Uh, so our elders, we'll take it in 10 also, that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Eshmon, and Og king of Bashan, who was Ashtaroth. So they knew how they conquered these kings. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey. Go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This, our bread, was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these our clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some other provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. So they continue their lie, uh, whether it be the clothes, the sandals, uh, the bread. It was like it was still warm when they had made it. And then as they went on their journey, uh, it got dry and old. It's crumbly, crusty, old, old bread. And so they continue with that story. But the Israelites were skeptical, as we read there. Still skeptical. So they took some of the provisions and checked it out. They wanted to look at this bread, for instance, and whatever it was that they needed on, on a long trip. A long trip was actually not very far at all. Within an hour away, half hour away, 
pretty close little walk, but uh, that bread had been around a long time before they ever even took it. Um, according to Numbers 27, verse 21, Joshua should have gone to Eliezer at that moment. He should have gone there, and which would be the, the high priest. And what the problem is, is that they're not consulting God again. They're trying to use their own wisdom. And yes, we are to do that. But God had given the priest, the Urim and the Thummim, they had this priestly ephod and this Urim, and the high priest would have been able to tell whether they were being told the truth or being deceived. So they continue to doubt these men, but they're kind of playing with it a little bit. They examined it. Everything looked old and worn. And the Gibeonites are successful. They pull this off. And they fool the Israelites here, as we uh, read in verse 15. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. As far as Joshua is concerned, they are from a distant, far land, and they can make a covenant with them. And so, they actually do. And now, the plot thickens in this ongoing story. In 16 and 17, we're going to find out that they are neighbors. <laughs> they live right next door, basically. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to the cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chephirah and Beeroth and Kiriath, German. 16 and 17, we see that they're neighbors of Israel. They're not from a distant land. Now what do we do, right? Well, as we read verse 18, we're going to see that the Israelites, most of the people are wanting, they're mad, and they're wanting the lives of these Gibeonites now. We read in 18, the sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But they didn't strike them because the leaders said, we can't do that, guys. And they're really mad. They're really angry that they've been lied to. So we read in 19 through 21 about the nature and the binding nature of a covenant. But the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that wrath will not be upon us. For the oath which we swore to them, the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. So, after the fact that there had already been a covenant made, it's binding uh, the, the Gibeonites, 
Gibeonites cannot be put to death because of this covenant. And if you were to look at, uh, on later in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, we find out that Israel faces a famine, this is in the future, because Saul broke a treaty with the Gibeonites. He broke a treaty with them. And because he broke it, the famine came upon the Israelites. So once there is a covenant made, even though it's between men, that covenant is forever. It's for good. The Gibeonites represent themselves as being servants of them. And so it's recognized as that. They're going to carry water and they're going to do the firewood. And that was going to be their job. Servants from here on out. That's the, what was going to be designed. So we look at the next section now. In 22 and 23. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them saying, Why have you de deceived us? Saying, We are very far from you. Why did you say that? When you are living within our land. Now therefore you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water, for the house of my God. So, here we go. Um, Joshua still doesn't really understand why the Gibeonites have gone to such length to deceive him and the Israelites. And of course they answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land. So before you, we feared greatly for our lives. That'd be a great title for this message here. We feared greatly. Uh, this is all about the power of God. They knew about this God. And they fear what he's going to do because they know he's going to do it. They believe that. They know quite a bit about who God is. It, verse 24 says this. So they answered in Joshua, said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. This is why we lied. This is why we deceived you. Because we know about your God and what his plan is. Somehow, they knew this. They already have known what he's done in the past. They know what would happen to them. So that's why they come to the Israelites and make this covenant, peace treaty. Verse 25, Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Whatever it takes, whatever you can do, whatever you want. But we fear greatly for our lives. Joshua is going to deliver the Gibeonites. He's going to deliver them out of the hand of the people of Israel. 
even though they want to kill him. Joshua is not going to let that happen. We see verse 27, But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. And so there we go. We have the deliverer, Joshua. And what does Joshua mean? God saves. This is the first time that we see that really being used there. There's Joshua. It's a picture of really the ultimate deliverer, Christ. They're going to serve in the house of the Lord is what it means. And those places were at first Gilgal, which is that camp. Later on, when they move, uh, the place of God would be Shiloh. And then ultimately, Jerusalem. And so they were servants, and they were servants for the house of the Lord in that sense. And they were forbidden to enter any Canaanite places of worship. So there's Joshua. Joshua means salvation. Salvation. He saved a group of people from the other Israelites. And they became a membership of the covenant with Israel. And it reminds you of the story of Rahab, which we saw much earlier. And everybody knows about the prostitute Rahab and how the grace of God, the mercy of God was capitalized there. It was seen, obviously, how gracious God is in saving people who don't deserve it. And that represents all of us. And here are Gentiles. God's covenant mercy, His grace is being magnified here beyond the borders of Israel. We know that they entered the covenant and they renewed that covenant at Mount Ebal. And now we see where we get a New Testament lesson that comes in that just makes this whole uh, story a picture of what this ultimately is about. And a covenant cannot be annulled once it's made. It cannot be broken. And in Galatians 3.15, Paul writes that, and I'm not necessarily thinking that he's thinking of this story here. I mean, he, he could have. But basically, he's talking about a covenant being made between man and man. It says in 15, Galatians 3.15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. That's the ultimate where the promise was made. Promise comes through Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So the grace of Christ does not nullify the law. It's still there. Same thing. That, that is not broken. Covenants between men are not to be broken. They're forever. They have been made. 
Yahweh was going to keep his promise made to Abraham. And the people that were the neighboring uh, group of people, the Gibeonites, knew that Yahweh was the Lord. He was God. And so this land promise that was tied to Abraham, the Gibeonites knew of this promise in some way. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be a part, get in with the Israelites, and of course not lose their lives. But the Gibeonites were spared, and we see the mercy of God really given to them. The mercy that was given from God through, I guess you could say Joshua, and some of the leaders, they're very merciful because they believed the promise that there would be salvation through the offspring of, that is Jesus. He is the seed. Not seeds, but seed. He's the one. And we know that the covenant is never limited to Israel alone. That humbles us, doesn't it? It was never limited to just Israel. It's all those who call upon the name of Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3, 26-29, For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. It extends to the nation, from the nation of Israel, all the way to the Gentiles. And so we get a picture of deliverance from uh, uh, to these Gentile people. They were sons of God, ultimately, because of God's choice there. But yet, secondary causes that that happen, there's neither Jew nor Greek, but it's all to the ones who are in Christ, heirs according to the promise. They greatly feared for their lives, these Gibeonites did. And they sought peace. They sought peace with the Israelites, they sought peace with Yahweh. They knew that Yahweh is merciful. And in this case, he was. His covenant promise is to be trusted. They didn't need to lie to enter into this covenant with Israel. They did what they thought was best. Like Rahab the harlot. It's still a sin. It's lying. It's deception. But at the same time, that's what the name Israel means. Deception. Or Jacob. Jacob was the deceiver. Israel is one who wrestles with God. But Jacob means to wrestle, or or to be one who's a deceiver. And Jacob actually was. But God, in all that, is gracious and he forgives the Gibeonites. We see grace, they didn't deserve it. We see mercy, they didn't deserve it. That's us. And it's all who are believers in Christ. They get the mercy and grace of God when not deserved. And God spared them from the wrath that 
would be coming very quickly to them. And they're spared. Jake, uh, uh, the nation of Israel spares them. Joshua spares them. God spares them. And he will do the same for all those who call upon his name. And what a story we get there in Joshua chapter 9. And it's about the mercy and grace of God. It's about salvation. And we are so thankful for that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word in Joshua 9 to be a little bit more knowing of what your character, your nature is. We stand back in awe because we have experienced that. All those who have called upon your name, who've trusted in you and know that your covenant is true and you are faithful. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, it is day three, night three, whenever you are watching this. It is the third episode of our season one, eight day, eight episode live stream.